Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our new series this morning on the Four Prayers of Paul. This will be part two. We'll get right into that in just, a, in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, we can get all of our teachings and uh, the rest of the series on there as well. And just so you know, we also want to say thank you to all of us who have uh, partnered with us with, and with their tithes and with their offerings to this ministry. And uh, in case you don't know how to do that, you can go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to our give page and all of our uh, contact information is there to give online as well as if you go to the footer Ruby page, uh, you have, we have all of our contact information where you can mail us your tithes and your offerings. And just so you know, for those of you here in the United States, we are a 501c3 uh, organization. We are a church. And so, therefore, you can get a tax write-up for that if you're interested. And uh, anyway, uh, we will have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on Effortless Change. And again, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on the Believer's Authority. And so, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump right on into our message this morning. We're talking about the four prayers of Paul. Now, when we're talking about the four prayers of Paul, Paul didn't just pray four times. And there are not only just four prayers of Paul in the scriptures, okay? And so, some of you might be debating, how come you only say there's only four prayers? God, Paul prayed more than four times in scripture. Well, he did. <laughs> but I'm focusing on four prayers, and, uh, and that's why I just have, it's just a title that I put on the series, okay, so you don't get hung up on all that. But at the same point in time, these are four prayers that I have used in my life, and these are four prayers that I uh, use all the time also in ministry. People ask me to pray for them, sometimes I don't know, know anything about them, their situation or whatnot, and so I'm just going to pray for them, how Paul prayed for them. And how Paul prays, prays for us. And how Paul prays for me. And so, I just think that's a good place to start. At the same point in time, you know, I believe that most of us as believers, those of us who are born again, you are where you are today. I am where I am today because of Paul's teachings. Paul, who wrote most of, most of the New Testament, we have our theology, we have our revelation of Scripture based on the teachings of Paul. Paul is probably the, one of the most influential people in our lives as far as Scripture is, as far as New Testament Scripture is. And I'm not downplaying any other, other New Testament authors or Old Testament authors for that matter either. But most of us have the revelation we have, whatever that revelation is, because of Paul. And I, he's an apostle. He's not the only apostle. There's over, I think, 20, 24 apostles mentioned in the New Testament. Not just the 12 or the 11. Uh, there, there's more. Paul mentioned most of those. Uh, most of those that he mentioned are in his conclusion, his benediction, in some of his letters, like in the book of Romans and other parts. Some of you don't realize that, but there are other apostles. Okay? Uh, there's even a female apostle that he mentions as well. So, uh, those of you who think that females can't be apostles, well, Paul didn't get that revelation. And so he, he, he acknowledges a, 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 a woman as an apostle in one of his letters. So, anyway, that's not my point. That's not what's going with my message. My point I'm trying to get to is I value what Paul says. And I, in one sense of the word, I feel like in some ways he's a father of my faith. 
he's a father of, <clears throat> he's, he's been my apostle in some ways. He's not a pastor, he's an apostle. But in some, way he, some ways, he's a, he has pastored me, taught me through his teachings, if, I, if you understand my heart. And when Paul is writing out these prayers, these four prayers that I'm focusing on in this series, it, this is just something I thought for my own self, and I, and I relate it to you as a pastor, is I want to hear Paul's heart. And when Paul is praying and writing out that prayer so we can all see and we can all benefit from that prayer, there's something that Paul wants us to get in all, all these four prayers. He, there's something that he wants us to understand. And it behooves me to hear Paul's heart as, he, as he's pouring out his heart to the church. And as a pastor, I want you to understand what Paul is saying in these four prayers. Again, these are not the only prayers Paul has prayed. Uh, and I'm not saying because, because these prayers are probably the, the longest of his prayers, that the other prayers are insignificant. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just not highlighting those prayers necessarily in this series, okay? Not because they're not important, it's just this is where the Holy Spirit has led me. And so and these are four primary prayers, especially these first two that I'm going through in the, in the book of Ephesians. And these are the four prayers that we're going to be talking about. Of Ephesians chapter 1, we're still here, we talked about this last week, we're going to hopefully conclude that this week, and then uh, going to next week, hopefully, we'll be going to Ephesians chapter 3. Now these first two are probably the two most that I use the most. Uh, I just love the book of Ephesians. But there's two other prayers we're going to be focusing on in later weeks, the one in Philippians and also in Colossians, okay? And so, <coughs> these are just four prayers that I just think are very primary, especially these first two. And if I can pick my, my top one, it's actually this one. Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 3 is a close second, but, and, and they go together because they're in the same book. They're in the same letter. And, and so uh, we're, we're going to look at both of these. So without further ado, let's go ahead and continue in our teaching this morning in Ephesians in chapter 1. Let me give you a little recap of what we taught last week so we can get into our teaching this week that we didn't finish last week. So first of all, I'm going to read the. Uh, I'm going to read between Ephesians chapter one verses fifteen through the end of the ch uh, chapter, and the prayer starts in verse seventeen actually. But there's a prelude that I'm going to uh, reread again this morning. <coughs> okay, so it says in Ephesians chapter one, beginning verse fifteen. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of, in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay? So I'm not going to recap a lot of what we did last week, but I want to recap some uh, major 
points that I, I tried to cover last week, okay? First of all, what's God, Paul's purpose in this prayer? Okay, Paul was not praying because they were in terrible shape. Now, he did bring a lot of corrections to some of the other churches, like Galatians and, and Corinthians and some even in Thessalonica. But there's not a lot of correction in this church. And, you know, keep in mind, when we're talking about Ephesians, Ephesus, there was a lot of wickedness in Ephesus. There was that whole Dinah, uh, I forget what, uh, the goddess Dinah. Uh, it was a major deal, okay? And so Paul didn't address any of that. Instead, he preached the gospel. But to the church in Ephesus, he, it's probably one of his most encouraging books, I believe, in all, in, in all the ones he wrote. Not, not, just because he's more encouraging in this book doesn't mean the other ones are not important. I mean, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And we all need to be reproved. We all need to be corrected. We all need to be trained and indoctrinated in, in scripture. So that, and Paul goes on to say, I'm quoting right now from Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, but also verse 17 says, so that we might be fully equipped for every good work. We need to be reproved and indoctrinated so we can be reproved for every good, we can be fully equipped for every good work. If you don't, if you are not willing to be indoctrinated, reproved, and corrected and trained in righteousness, you are not fully equipped for every good work. And I don't see anyone being in ministry who doesn't have that attitude, who doesn't have that, and who, who has not had that experience. So what's Paul's purpose? Paul was not praying because they were in terrible shape. Paul commended them. He said in verses, verse 15, he commended them for their faith in Jesus and also for their love for all the saints. But even though he was commending them, just like I said, there can be reproof and correction and training in righteousness, there was more Paul wanted them to receive. And there was more that Paul wanted them to experience. And that's what his prayer. See, I said last week, there was more to salvation than the forgiveness of sins. And I spent some time on this because I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. And I'm not saying forgiveness of sin is, is insignificant. Actually, being born again and receiving your forgiveness for sins is, is, is the most important thing. This is more important than the more things that we're talking about. However, you, there's more to salvation than just the forgiveness of sins. <coughs> again, I want to re repeat myself. There is nothing more important than becoming born again. But there is more to salvation than just the forgiveness of sins. If you don't receive the other benefits of salvation, you're still going to heaven, and you are still born again. But there's more that we can be experiencing heaven on earth in this life if we understand the more to salvation than just the forgiveness of sins. Okay? At the same point in time, let me just say the same, same thing in another way. Being born again ushered us into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within us. When I say there's more to, the, more to salvation than just the forgiveness of sins, folks, beloved friends, there is a whole kingdom inside of you. Jesus also said, it's to your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is in you. And the kingdom of God is not just forgiveness. There's a whole kingdom. There's a whole aspect of the kingdom of God that's in you. And 
The more we have, the, there's more to salvation than most of us have understood and comprehended. And I can also say there's more to salvation than most of us are experiencing. Okay? I also said to the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works, which is in you, and apply it in our lives and ministry, we can experience heaven on earth. I want to say this again. This was a key point from last week. To the, to the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works and apply it in our lives, we can experience heaven on earth. And we are all on different degrees in our understanding. Okay? This transformation that I'm talking about is not automatic. We are progressively changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from grace to grace, by the renewing of our minds. This is a process. In, in one sense of the word, we will be renewing our minds till Jesus comes. Okay? None of us have arrived. Some of us are at a different degree of understanding this and are experiencing that at a different degree because we're understanding that. But this is a progressive. <coughs> Excuse me. How many know we are walking with God? We are in relationship with God. I'm in a different degree in my relationship with my wife than I was 22 years ago when we got married. Okay? Some marriages and some relationships have actually regressed. Some have progress. Okay? But to the degree that we, we, allow, we are in relationship and we nurture that relationship, we will grow from glory to glory, from grace to grace, from faith to faith. We will grow. We will mature. Okay? It will get sweeter and sweeter. And it will get better and better. Okay? See, we are all the same in our born-again spirits. We are spirit, soul, and body. It's our spirit that's born again. Our mind needs to be renewed, and we all we will get a new body one day. Okay? But we are all the same in our born-again spirits. Because our born-again spirits are exactly like Jesus. But our, our minds are not. Our flesh is not. Our bodies are not. Okay? But we are. But even though this is true, we are all the same in our born-again spirits. We are... But there are many levels of understanding. We are all at a different degree, a different level in our understanding, in our understander, if I can even put it that way. You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, and if you can see the parable of the sower, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic obstacles. But Jesus said, in the parable of the sower, there's one seed, the word of God, being sown on four different kinds of soil. And all the different kinds of soil heard the word of God, but only one understood the word of God. Okay? And even the soul, especially the, the seed that fell on the pavement, uh, Jesus specifically said they did not understand the word. So it's not enough just to hear the word, and that's important. You can't understand something you've never heard. But at the same point in time, and we are actually covering a lot of what I'm saying right now on Sunday nights, but uh, we need to understand God's word. We need to understand all that God has for it, if we're, we're going to experience it. In other words, we are called to be disciples. We are called to be discipled. Okay? Jesus did not call us to go make converts. Jesus called us to be a disciple. A disciple is a disciplined learner. Okay? And a disciple is not going to learn everything in one setting. A disciple is not going to learn something. It's going to be learning something, you know, to a progressive relationship, to a progressive Learning, if I, can, if I can put it that way. I know there's some more words I'm looking for here. But we are called to be disciples. That's one reason why we call our church Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We are big on discipleship. 
Okay? Now, there's a starting point. You can't be discipled until you, in one sense, are born again. Born in, being born again is the greatest thing ever. But it's the start. It's the beginning of a life of God. It's the beginning of discipleship. Okay? Being born again is not the end. It's the beginning it's the beginning to a life with God. It's the beginning to walking with God. It's the beginning to being discipled. Okay? And Paul prayed to us as disciples, as believers, that our understanding would be enlightened. He prayed that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. We'll, we'll, we'll spend a little more time with this before we go further. Okay? And they would, then they would come to experience what is already true in their spirits. We'll spend a little more time on this because these are three main key, point, key points that I'm trying to bring out in this first prayer. Okay? But Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul also prayed that they would receive the revelation of mystery that he was sharing with them. We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm going to go off on this again a little bit right now. Earlier in the chapter, in chapter, verse 9, Paul said, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. When we talked about the mystery, revelation of the mystery, <coughs> excuse me, let me slow down for a minute. I'm choking on my own words. Okay? You know, God, Paul is praying this prayer that we would, uh, we would understand something, that we would receive a revelation of something, that our hearts would be enlightened to something. And really, I believe that something can be, can be simplified into there's a mystery. Okay, that there's truth of God's words that are only mysterious to those who do not soften their hearts to them. We're going to come back to some of the soften their hearts in, uh, in just a moment. But there's, there's something that God wants to reveal to us. And when I talk about mystery, the truth of God are hidden for His children, not from His children. Okay? God did not hide this mystery of the gospel from His own kids, to those who are born again, but it is hidden from those who are not born again. That's why I said being born again and understanding the forgiveness of your sins is the most important time part. Because you can't understand the mysteries. You can't understand this revelation that Paul wants us to understand unless you're first born again. But now that you are born again, now that you are his child, there's a whole mystery of the kingdom of God that you can understand. And that not only can you understand it, you can walk in it. You can experience it. The mystery of the kingdom of God. Paul said in Colossians, this mystery that we're talking about is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.26. This myth, 126 and 27, this, this mystery that we're talking about is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul wants us to get a revelation of Christ who is in us. And if you ever read the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking throughout this entire book of Ephesians about Christ in us. I don't remember how many times he uses the phrase in Christ, but he uses it multiple, multiple times throughout this book about who we are in Christ. Paul is revealed, and it's all, you can also see this almost echoed in the, the book of Colossians as well. Paul, and throughout his books, for all, all of his letters, is revealing to us the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom who is in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay? I can spend all, that could be a whole message in, in and of itself. In one sense, it is a message that we're talking about. Okay? Going back to, again, Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things, where? 
in Christ, this mystery, Christ in the end of all the glory, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. They're in heaven, the mysteries are in heaven, but they are also on earth. Where? In Him. And where is He? In you. The mysteries. God wants to gather everything together in Christ. And where's Christ? In you. Okay? In other words, God is bringing everything together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's my Savior, but He's also my King. He's my Lord. Okay? He's my Master. Sickness is not my master. COVID is not my master. The United States is not my master. Your country is not your master. Jesus is my king. Now, Jesus, Paul especially, told us that we are to obey our leaders as long as they don't keep us from obeying our Lord. Okay? That's not my message today, but I just want to bring that out there. Okay? In other words, this lordship of Jesus Christ this has always been God's plan and God's purpose. And those who do not make Jesus preeminent and Lord of their lives are entirely out of focus with God's internal purpose. Okay? Jesus is Lord of every area of my life. He is Lord of my marriage. He is Lord of my friendships. He is, he is Lord of my businesses. He is Lord of this church. He is Lord of uh, my finances. He is Lord of my health. He is Lord of my mind. He is Lord of everything that happens in my life. He is my King. He is my God. Okay? Paul prayed, <clears throat> again, we reiterating we, we what we always established, that we would understand and be enlightened to this revelation. Paul prayed that we would receive. He's already given it to us, but just because he's given it to us, we haven't all received the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Where? And we're going to talk about this this morning, in the knowledge of him. And they, that we also will pray that we would come to experience what is already true in our spirit. It's already true. It's in seed form, but it's already true in our spirits. Okay? But he wants us to experience it. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to get a revelation of it. He wants us to experience what God has already provided for us. Where? In the knowledge of him. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Okay? The prayer actually starts in Ephesians 1.17. And Paul begins to pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. In verse 17, he says, he, he prays that he, he may give to us. Verse, going back to verse 8, it says, He had, he made to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence. And we talked about this last week. Is this a contradiction? Did he give it to us? Or did he not give it to us? Are we still waiting for it? Or did he give it to us? We already, we talked about how he already gave us wisdom and prudence in our born again spirits, but we have to draw it out. These things out of our spirit. We have to receive it. We have to experience it. We have to walk in it. If you don't know that you have it, you're going to keep trying to get it instead of knowing that you have it and start using it. You can't use something you don't know you have. You can't use something you think you're still trying to get. And you can't get it because he's already gave it to you. You need to know that you have it. You need to have an understanding, a revelation, what you already have in Christ, so you can start using it. You can start experiencing it. You can start walking in it. Am I making sense? You can't. He can't give you something he already gave you. And you can't experience something you think you're still trying to get when he already gave it to you. 
Okay? We need a revelation of what we have. Okay? And Paul goes on to say that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prayed that what is already true in our spirit will become our mental dispensation. That we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay? We talked a lot about this last week. But we also said, for Paul also prayed for a release into the physical what is already present in our spiritual being. It's already present in seed form. We are born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the Word of God. And I'm going to go into some of this seed form in just a moment. You cannot get a revelation of something that doesn't exist. But it does exist. And Paul is praying that we will receive, he, the Lord may give us a spirit of wisdom. And what? Revelation. We already have the wisdom. <coughs> we already have wisdom and prudence. What I just talked about, I'm going through this a little fast because I talked a lot about this last week. I'm trying to get to this week's message. But he, <coughs> excuse me, I'm talking so fast, I mean, I mean, I'm choking on my own words. But he already gave us wisdom and prudence, what we just talked about. But he is praying that he would give us spirit of, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, we need to understand the wisdom we already have. Okay? But let's look at this word revelation real quick. We talked about how it's a disclosure. It's to take off the cover. Paul wasn't praying for the Lord to give us anything new. And he wasn't, he wasn't praying for us to God to give us more things. Paul was praying that we get a revelation. What was already, what has already been freely given to us in Christ. See, the Christian life is not an attempt to get more faith. The Christian life is not to get more anointing. We already have all these things in their fullness in Christ. It's easier to release what we already have. It's very hard to release something we don't even know we have when we're trying to get. But we're trying to get something He already gave us. In one sense, we are look, we are looking. Yeah, I'll just stick with that. It's easier to release what we already have, and we have it. But we need a revelation and understanding and enlightenment of what we have. But it's easier to release what we already have than to go, try and get something we don't have. And yet we have it. <laughs> okay? There's a deception, in other words, trying to get something that we already have. Okay? How do I know we already have it? I can give you a lot of scriptures, but he already said at the beginning of the same chapter... Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with not just some, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Christ in us. The, the mystery of the kingdom is Christ in us. The glory. God has given blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Many of us are trying to get those spiritual blessings. Many of us are asking God to bless us. He already has we get a revelation that you have it and start walking in it. That's what Paul's praying here. Paul prays that the Lord would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He goes on to say in verse 18 that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, of his glory inheritance in the saints. Okay? Now, when we talk about the eyes of our hearts being under, and understanding being enlightened, we talked briefly last week from 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, and I don't want to rehash the whole story, but the king of Syria was attacking Elisha because he was getting a word of knowledge and disrupting his military plans. 
He thought the king of Syria thought he had a, a, a betrayer in his own camp. It wasn't a betrayer. It was the spirit of God revealing his the, the king of Syria's plot against Israel, and he was uh, foiling all of his plans. And so the king of Syria wanted to kill Elisha, and so his whole armies were surrounding one man. <laughs> okay. And Elisha wasn't worried, but Elisha's servant was like, what are we going to do? I mean, it's just like the whole king of Syria, the whole army was surrounding one man, and his servant's like, you know, this, this is not good. And, but the, Elisha prayed, he prayed, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, it was more with him than with them. And in the same way that Elisha prayed this prayer, I believe uh, Paul, uh, Paul is praying the same prayer going backwards, that our eyes would be understanding what we have. Stop trying to get it. Stop worrying. Stop worrying about all the things... Jesus said, many hearts will wax cold of things coming upon the earth. Jesus, Paul, all the apostles, all the letters of, in the New Testament promise, that, promise us that these horrible times will come. And they're still going to get, the book of Revelation expands on, there's many things going to come on the earth. Okay? And you're not going to be able to stop some of this stuff. Okay? But what you can do is know that there is more with you than there are with them. Okay? Elisha, I don't even know if Elisha saw this, but he knew it. He knew what God was doing. Maybe he did see it, maybe he didn't. We don't know that. We can only uh, uh, speculate, okay? But at the same point in time, Elisha was not afraid. We do not need to be afraid of the things coming upon the earth. Jesus is our Lord. Whether we die or whether we live, we're going with Jesus. We win. We already won. Okay? Okay, and so anyway, but going back to Ephesians, Paul prayed that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that we would have the understanding, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. We'll get back to the, the bottom part of the, this verse later. Okay? Then we looked last week about the... Uh, actually, I'm ahead of myself. Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened, so that we can see what is already in our born-again spirits, just like Elisha's servant. We need to be enlightened. We need to know what we already have. In Christ. Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I've been talking all morning so far, just, and this is just my uh, 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 recap from last week, but we, I talked about how the kingdom of God is within us. We have a whole kingdom, but we can never see that kingdom if we're not born again. Not only experience it, we can't even see it. Okay? And we need to see who we have and what we have. Paul prayed that our understanding would be enlightened. Okay? This word understanding means deep thought. It means it's translated imagination at times. Uh, especially in Luke chapter 1. Paul prayed that our understanding would be enlightened so that we can see what's in our born-again spirits. But he also prayed that our imagination would be enlightened. Some of us, you know... Because of the things going on in the world, because of things that our doctors have said and different people have said to us, our imaginations are playing every worst case scenario in our minds. We need to start imagining 
We need to start being enlightened and understanding what God says about our lives, what God says about the situation. Okay? We also want to take this further now with the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. It's not just your understanding, but your understanding has eyes. You might not have known that, but your understanding has eyes. Okay? The eyes of understanding. The eyes of understanding means the ability to see with your heart. Some of you are only seeing with your natural eyes. Like Elisha's servant, you need to see with your heart like Elisha did. Okay? See, a positive, godly imagination is also called, what we talked last week about, hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's also echoed in Romans, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he sees? And when he's talking about here seeing, he's talking about seeing with the natural eyes. I believe faith sees. I believe hope sees. But it sees with our spiritual eyes. It sees with the understanding of our hearts, not with our natural eyes. Okay? See, Paul prayed that our understanding, our imaginations would see the hope of his calling, which we're going to hopefully get into this morning. Okay? He, the eyes of our understanding is not only the ability to see with our hearts, but the ability to perceive with the mind. Just as nobody can see with their eyes closed, and nobody can see with their minds or hearts closed, we also can't see and perceive the things of God if our hearts are closed. Okay? Our understanding must be opened by the Lord to perceive spiritual truth. Just like in, on the road to Emmaus, I don't have time to rehash this whole story, but uh, there's two disciples that walk with Jesus on the road to Emmaus before I go there, before you read that scripture, which you already did. Um, uh, there was two. It says that two disciples that they didn't recognize. It was, they didn't recognize it was Jesus who was walking with them. This is after the resurrection. The disciples did not have a revelation that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They were still mourning his death. They did not know that he was alive yet. And while they walked with him on the road to Emmaus, uh, their hearts were still saddened. But Jesus, who was with them, began to open the scriptures to them. Began to share all things concerning himself. All the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I would have loved hearing Jesus expand on all the scriptures concerning himself on that road. But it was at the end of that trip, when they reached their destination, they broke bread with him that they said, and he opened their understanding, key word, that they might comprehend the scriptures. You need the Holy Spirit to open your understanding so that you can understand the mystery of the kingdom of God, so you can understand the scriptures. Because when you don't have, when your understanding is not open to you, it's still a mystery. Okay, but it can be revealed to you, his child. Okay, Paul goes on to say in chapter four of Ephesians, he says, "I say therefore, and testifying the Lord that you should not no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles of the world walks in the futility of their minds." God does not want your your mind to be uh, be. Futile, if I can put it that way. He, King James says it's vanity. He doesn't want your, 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 your mind to be in vain. In other words, if we think like the world, we will get the same results as the world. We cannot think like the world. Amid COVID, amid all the things going on on, on Facebook and the world and social media, we cannot think like the world. We are different. We have the mind of Christ. Okay? We need to change the way we think. As a man thinketh, so is he. Okay? But the disciples were amazed when they saw Jesus walking on the water. And, uh, 
walking in the water in Mark chapter 8, I believe it is. And Jesus called this amazement a hardened heart in Mark chapter 8. And this is kind of where we ended last week, okay? I can do a whole series, and I probably will do one into next year about a hardened heart. A hardened heart is not just a life in sin. It can lead to that. But that's not the hardened heart that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, he had just, he had just fed the multitudes. He had just walked on the water. And the disciples were amazed that he was walking on the water. And Jesus called that amazement a hardened heart. See, a hardened heart cannot perceive the things of God. Okay? And Jesus answered them, and being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you yet not <coughs> perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? When your heart is hardened, you cannot perceive and understand the things of God. You cannot understand miracles. You, you, you are made... See, they were... They were uh, uh, quarreling among themselves because Jesus had walked in the water and he said something. They thought if it was good, they didn't have any bread when he fed the multitudes. He had nothing to do with that. They, see, when they were so amazed at him walking in the water and the storm and the different things that that, that they didn't they they, they were, their their whole perception, their whole understanding was hardened from understanding. What God, what Jesus was trying to teach them, what Jesus was trying to do, okay? See, a hardened heart keeps us from perceiving spiritual truth. The variable is not the word, but the condition of the heart. This goes with the parable of the sower. It's not the word, it's the understanding that kept that seed from producing 30, 60, and the whole hundredfold. A hardened heart will keep us from perceiving spiritual truth. But a hardened heart will stop us from understanding spiritual truth. See, when you don't understand God's word, Satan finds no resistance. When you don't understand that God's will to heal the sick, by his stripes you are healed, and you don't lay hands on the sick, or you lay hands on them and they don't recover, and you're just you're like, well, that must be God's will. You're not, you're not going to resist sickness. I resist sickness in this house. I resist COVID in this house. I resist lack. I resist things. The same way I resist sin, I resist anything that Jesus has redeemed me from. The curse of the law. And when you don't understand God's word, when you don't perceive God's word, you will not resist when Satan comes into you like a flood. You will just accept it. You'll go, poor me, Satan, Satan is just taking advantage of me. Satan's doing this. Satan's doing that. We're going to see in this prayer, you have authority over Satan. That's one of the things Paul's going to print out. If we get there far enough this morning, okay, when we don't understand God's word, Satan finds unbelief. He doesn't find resistance. He might find religion, but he doesn't find a resistance. See, hard and hard heart keeps us from perceiving spiritual truths, but it also stops us from understanding spiritual truths. And it keeps us from remembering one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring the scriptures to your remembrance. Okay? Let's talk about remembering for a second. You may be able to recall facts in scripture. You might even be able to quote them. You might even be able to quote scripture left and right. See, going back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked him, 
When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets of full fragments did you take up? And they said to him, twelve. Verse 20, he says, When I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. See, when you're remembering, you might be able to quote the facts. The disciples remember the facts. Okay? But they forgot the spiritual lesson. And this was before him walking on the water. This had happened twice, and now they're amazed that he called storms and walked on water? See, remembering Scripture is not the same as perceiving the spiritual life in there. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And Paul is praying that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is saints. We're going to get to this part in just a moment. Okay? Wisdom and revelation can only be received as the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. That's a big thing that I'm trying to bring out right now. Okay? Paul says, and I want to go back for 17 and 18 real quick, and then I'm going to go on to 18 and 19. Okay? <coughs> Paul prays that we may... <coughs> That, that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, where? In the knowledge of Him. He also says in verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know. Verse 17 says that we would have this revelation in the knowledge of Him. And verse 18, that you may know. That your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know. Okay? Our way of thinking must be illuminated to have a more accurate knowledge of God. Am I making sense? He says that twice in this prayer. See, spiritual mindedness is a way to life and peace. Paul said this way in Romans chapter 8. But those who live according to the flesh set their what mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and death. It doesn't just lead to it, it is life and death. It doesn't, it, 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 what you think about is either death or life. As a man thinketh, so is he. Isaiah says it this way, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Paul also said in Romans chapter 12, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, simple, and perfect will of God. See, renewing the mind is a way to knowing God's perfect will. You cannot know his perfect will without renewing your mind in the things of God. I don't have it on the script between, but Peter says it this way, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of him. That all things pertain to life and godliness in the knowledge of him. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the knowledge of him. Okay? Let's go back here. Again, Paul's praying that we may have this wisdom revelation in the knowledge of him, and that we may know. What does he want us to know? He wants us to know three things, and we're going to highlight those now. What is the hope of this calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In verse 19, 
And what is exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Okay? See, the end result of wisdom and revelation that we've been talking about the last week and a half is that we would know something. Are you following me so far? This is, like, this is probably the key part of this message, these three points I'm going to get into. All that was a prelude to where we're going to right now. The end result of having this wisdom and revelation is that we would know three things. The three things that we need to know is the hope of his calling. The second thing is the riches of the, the glory of his inheritance. And the third thing is to know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. We're going to look at all three of these, and we're going to, uh, that's where we're going to spend most of the remainder of our time today on these three things. In other words, Paul prayed that we would know these three things. We would know the hope of his calling. We would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And we would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. But then we may ask, well, didn't they or didn't we know all these things? Okay. See, when Paul uses the word knowledge here in verse 17 and the word know here in Ephesians, it comes from the word knowledge, epignosis. But there's also the verb form, epignoso. Okay. And it, and it, it means a full, accurate, expert knowledge. Okay. And it means, in other words, it means true knowledge. Paul wants you to have a true knowledge of these three things. Okay? Paul prayed, in other words, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we would come to know the Father deeper than we ever have before. That through the spirit of revelation and knowledge, we would know what we have in Christ. We would have a true knowledge of what we have. We would have a true understanding and revelation of what we have in the Father and what we have in God. Okay? So let's go back here and we're going to look at these three things. The first one is that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So let's focus on that one right now. Okay? Again, Paul prayed that we would know these three things and we're going to focus right now on this one, the hope of his calling. Notice this though. That is not the hope of our calling. It's the hope of his calling. Big difference, okay? Ephesians 4, I mean Ephesians 1 18 again. That we would know the hope of his calling. I didn't make that up, it's right there. Okay, I just emphasized it. Through our faith in Christ, we have become partakers of everything Christ deserves. <clears throat> Paul said it this way in Galatians. He said, and we talked about this in our last teaching series two, week, uh, two weeks ago. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. Okay? He also said in verse 16, which we really highlighted two weeks ago, now to Abraham and his seed, singular, not plural, were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. If we belong to Christ, we are Abraham's seed. If we belong to Christ, God treats us the same way that he treats Jesus. If we belong to Christ, 
Paul said this, I mean, Peter said it this way, arm yourselves with the same mind Christ had. Okay? It also says in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. We are in Christ, and we should arm ourselves with the same mind, mindfulness that Christ had. We should have the same mind which Christ had. Are you, are you following me? Okay? One of the keys to victorious Christian living is seeing ourselves in Christ. There's over 400 times, 413 times if I count it right, in the New Testament, talked about who we are in Christ. And one of the keys to victorious Christian living, how many know this life is a, is a Christian life? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle. And one of the keys to victorious Christian living is seeing and having revelation, having an understanding, having a, the eyes of our heart open and enlightened to, to have a revelation, to have a knowledge of who we are in Christ. Another way of saying the same thing, one of the keys to victorious Christian living is having the mind of Christ. We need to think like He does. Why we're born of the same seed. Okay? How many know an apple that, that has seed, and you plant those apples, in time, that new, the new apples are going to just look like the other apples. Dog begets dogs. Cat begets cats. Humans beget humans. Apples beget apples. If we're born of God, if we are in Christ, we should think like He does. We should be like Him. We're born of the same seed. And we need a revelation understanding of what we have in Christ. Everything that apple tree needs. Everything. That, the blossoms, the sap, the branch, the leaves, the apples, and more apple seeds are in that seed. A dog. Everything that that dog needs. The teeth, the tongue, the ears, the tail. Okay? Everything that needs is in that seed. Same thing for a baby. Same thing for a child. Every seed, uh, everything is in that seed. And everything we have is in the seed of Jesus Christ, whom we are born of. Paul said, again, going back to Galatians, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. God's promises were made to his seed. He went, God's promises were made to his seed, and his seed is Christ. All the promises of God were made to Christ. Okay? And we are born of his seed. So all the promises are made to us in Christ. We are born of Christ. We are born of God. Christ participated in the covenant agreement on our behalf. But the promise was made to Christ, who was our representative, who was our substitute, who was our propitiation that John talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and, and also Paul repeats it in Romans chapter 3. That Jesus was our propitiation. Jesus was our substitute on our behalf. And it takes a divine revelation to understand what I'm preaching to you today. What Paul is writing to us. It takes a divine revelation to understand this. 
and Paul was praying, we understand this revelation. Jesus did not, did not need to be justified by faith. But Jesus was justified by faith for us. The promise was made to his seed. The promise was made to Jesus. The promise was made to Jesus as our representative, as our substitute. And since we are in Christ, we receive the benefits. The promise cannot be voided by our performance because the promise was made to Christ. He's, he's the variable. And we are the beneficiaries of his goodness. When you understand beneficiaries, the promise is not made to you. The promise was made to Christ. We are the beneficiaries of that promise. Paul prayed that we may know the hope of his calling, the riches of glory of his inheritance, and the seeding greatness of his power. I briefly talked about the hope of his calling. Let's go to talk about the second one, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Again, going to Ephesians chapter 1, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which we talked about, and what we are the Pray about well the riches, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Just like I said, it's not the hope of our calling, it's the hope of his calling. If you also read Ephesians 1 18, it's not our inheritance, it's his inheritance. Are you following me? This is a major point I'm bringing up. Okay? Again, go back to the scriptures with me. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance, and where is his inheritance? It's in the saints. We'll get there in just a minute. See, everything we have is where? It's <coughs> in Christ. It's in that seed. Everything an apple tree needs is in the seed. Everything our body needs when we were born was in the seed. Everything is in the seed. Everything, the promises were made to Christ, the seed. And we are the beneficiaries of that seed. When that seed comes into fruition, and it grows, and it has an apple tree, and it has blossoms, and it creates more apples, we benefit by eating the fruit of that tree. But the promise was made to that seed. You just participated and partook of the beneficiary, I don't even know the right word, as a beneficiary of that seed. God has made a promise to us in Christ. And the, it's the hope of His calling. It's the hope of it's His inheritance. But everything we have is in Christ. And it came through His hope. It came through His holiness, not ours. I can teach on this. I have taught on this. It's the beauty of His holiness. Okay? And it remains. Because of his faithfulness, not ours. Okay? Ephesians 1.18. Let's go back here real quick. What are the riches of his inheritance? Where? In the saints. Where are... It's, the, it's not our inheritance. It's his inheritance. And where is his inheritance? It's in us. It's his inheritance. But it's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the mystery of the kingdom. 
of inheritance is in the saints. Christ has invested himself in us. When you make an investment, Roger, I do will cost you a front. But you are a good businessman will make good investments. How many of you know that the God of all wisdom, the God of all glory, the God of the universe, he had the whole universe at his disposal, and he invested the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the kingdom, and he invested it in you. That is rich. Pun intended. Okay? Christ has invested himself in us. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And Paul was praying that we understand this revelation. Okay? But it gets better. Alright, let me just say there's more. Paul prayed that we would know the hope of his calling, we would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. Again, this all comes from verse 18, going into verse 19, and... What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us? Paul prayed that we would get a revelation of the power we already have. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul prayed that we would get a revelation that we have that power. We're not trying to get the power. We're not trying to we're not praying for God to be powerful. He gave us the power of attorney. He gave us that power. In other words, these three things that we're praying about is all that we need. We already have it. We need a revelation that we have it. We need to have an understanding and the knowledge that we have it. Okay? We just need a revelation. We have it. And start using it. Okay? We, that's my next point. We need to have a revelation. We have these three things. And use it. Specifically this power that we're talking about at this point. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And Paul was praying that we get this revelation. Let's go back here. Let's look at this a little bit more now. Verse 19. And what is exceeding greatness of his power. It's not just power. But his power is exceedingly great. Paul prayed. That we would not only know God's power, although true, but also the greatness of God's power. And more than that, the exceeding greatness of God's power. Are you getting this? Can I just phrase it this way? Our God is great. There is no kingdom. There is no person. There is no plague, there is no COVID, there is no government that is greater than our God. There is no evil that is greater than the goodness of our God. We need a revelation of God's exceedingly greatness. I want to say this again. We as a church need a revelation of the exceeding greatness of God who is in us. If we had a revelation, and if we were walking in this revelation, the church would be a lot different right now. 
Our lives would be different. But we need a revelation of the exceeding greatness of our God. Who is in us. Who has given us these things in Christ. We need a revelation of God's exceeding great power. Okay? Don't get distracted. Stay with me here. Okay? It's going to get better. No, he's a, what is the seeming greatness of his power towards us who believe according to his working of his mighty power? Stay with me here. Okay? Towards us. We, we, sometimes we leave out little phrases. Okay? The exceeding great power of God is toward us. Are you listening? The exceeding great power of God is toward us. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep saying that until I know everyone's listening. The exceeding great power of God is toward us. Okay? I'm going to back up because I don't think you guys are listening. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? We'll get there in just a minute. And we'll let ask phrase. The exceeding great power that we're talking about, that God, Paul wants us to know and understand and get a revelation, is who is what? It's toward us. That means God's exceeding great power is for us. That means God's exceeding great power is for our benefit. And we need a revelation that God's exceeding great power is towards us. We need a revelation that is at our disposal. God's exceeding great power is ineffective if we don't believe it will work for us. Because he said, exceeding great power, power of God towards us who believe. We need to believe. If we don't believe it will work, then it won't work. Philemon says it this way, that the communication of thy faith becomes effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. Where? In Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says to Philemon in a very short book, one chapter, verse 6, that in this word communication, if you study this word communication now in the Greek, you know what it is? It's koinia. The fellowship of our faith with God becomes a <coughs> what we acknowledge, not just some, but every good thing. Where is it? It's in you. Where? In Christ Jesus. You can't just acknowledge some of it. You, if you don't acknowledge every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus, your faith will be ineffectual. And most of us are frustrated why it's not working. But we are not acknowledging. We are acknowledging what's going on in the world. We're acknowledging what's being said on Facebook. We are acknowledging what our government is saying. We are acknowledging that we don't have money. We are acknowledging we have this and that. We are acknowledging everything else. But we are not acknowledging every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. And we are wondering why it's not effective. Paul wants us to get a revelation of what we have so that our faith can be effectual. And the world is mocking us because we are, we're hypocritical. We're saying something works when it doesn't. And it's not because it's not true. It's because we are acknowledging everything they're saying and everything everyone else is doing instead of God. 
Okay? Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding great power, greatness of his power toward us who believe? God exceeding great power is only effective to those who believe. God exceeding great power is only effective to those who acknowledge what we already have in Christ. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And Paul prayed that we would understand this revelation. And then he goes on to say, according to the working of his mighty power. According to. According to. And keeping with agreement with. That's what it means. Paul had already said in verse 3 that God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That we would experience this greatness of God's power according to how he had already blessed us. According as he said in verse 4, he has chosen us <coughs> in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. According to. It means in agreement with, with but it also means in corresponding to the, the way in which I, I misspelled that. You know, this whole according to me, Paul was explaining to what degree we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Folks, we are blessed. We are immensely blessed. And God wants to use us, his power, his richness, his inheritance that's in us, the hope of his calling, which is in us, his great power, which is in us, according to how he has blessed us. He also says, we were chosen in Christ before the world began. We, and we are holy without blame because God sees us through Christ. I can spend a lot more time on this, but you know, when I look at this according to, I can, I can we're, we're in the, towards the end of the chapter. We're in the middle of his prayer, which is in the bulk of the chapter. But the beginning of the chapter, Paul already talked about how we were God's children. In verse 5, how we are accepted in the beloved in verse 6. How we are redeemed and forgiven in verse 7. How we, we have God's wisdom and prudence in verse 8. And how with the mysteries of God's kingdom have been revealed to us also in verse 8. Okay? And when Paul says, according to the working of his mighty power. What power? Well, we're going to get to there. But it's also according to the fact that we are his children. That we are something in the beloved. It's according to the fact that we are redeemed and forgiven. According to the fact that we are God's we, have, we already have God's wisdom and prudence according to the fact that we already have the mystery of God, the kingdom of God in us. According to which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. As believers in Christ, we have the same power God used to raise Christ from the dead. In other words, the power we have in Christ is not small compared to God's power. The power you have in Christ is not small. It's not insignificant to the power of God. We have the same power God used to raise Christ from the dead. But we need a revelation of this. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And it, Paul is praying that we understand this revelation. He prayed that we would have the wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
And, and what is the exceeding greatness of this power towards us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. As believers in Christ, we have the same power God used to raise Christ from the dead. And everything we have as believers in Christ comes from our union with Him as His children, as His beloved, those who are redeemed. And everything that is true of Christ is true of us. And just as Jesus is now above all principality, so are we. Just as Jesus is above all power, so are we. Just as Jesus is above all might, so are we. Just as Jesus is above all dominion, so are we. Jesus said in Re Re Revelation 3, To him who overcome, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sit with my Father on his throne. What's a throne? A throne is where the king sits and rules the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within us. Jesus says it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said that when we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we sit with Him on His throne. He said in Revelation 5 that He, that, and they say in the new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us by God. Us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people <coughs> and nation. Verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We are kings and we are priests. He echoed the same thing in verse 1. And have made us kings and priests to his God, and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 2, the next chapter, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ, our hope of glory. Where's Jesus sitting? On the throne of heaven. And we are sitting together with him. In other words, I'm sharing these verses, folks, to know that we have come to share in Christ's throne. He's king. He's God. We are not. But we have if we are Christ, then we are heirs according to the promise. And we are in Christ. We are with Christ. And we're going to get to it here in just a moment. We are the body of Christ. We have come to partake in the, the authority that this throne represents to exercise divine power and dominion in the earth. Jesus gave us that authority. He gave us that power. He's the one that said that we are kings and priests. He's the one that said that we sit together with him on his throne. Okay? This is not arrogance. This is gospel. Okay? And there is no place in the New Testament where we are instructed to ask God to do something about Satan. Jesus has instructed his church to do something about Satan. He delegated authority and had been given to his church. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And Paul was praying that we understand this revelation. Paul prayed the church would be enlightened to this truth. <coughs> Paul, see, I've been talking about this, and I'm, I'm getting to the near close of this message, or this, this part of our message today. We've been talking about this throughout this whole 
first prayer of Paul, that Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened, that they would that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, and that we would experience what is already true in our spirits. But he concludes this prayer in verse 22-23. And he, Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's talk about the church just for a moment. The church. Paul also uses this analogy of the church being the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So three times we see that Paul uses this analogy of the church being the body of Christ. Okay? And here, Paul expounded on this by placing Christ as the head. Three times in Scripture, in two different letters of Paul, Paul uses the analogy of the church as the body of Christ. In Ephesians, in this particular prayer, Paul expounds on that revelation of the body of Christ as Jesus being the head. Okay? Paul emphasized his church as his body. It's the body of Christ. And when you attack the body, you attack the head. The, the body is attached to the head. The head is not decapitated. Okay? He's not a head with no body. Okay? Paul emphasized Christ as our head. Okay? He's Lord. You're not. Okay? Paul emphasized the Lordship of Christ. And the head controls the body. Okay? Your body can't do anything without the head. And the head is, in one sense, useless without the body. Okay? When anything is placed under the feet, every body part is positioned above it. I mean, though you're an, an anatomy, your feet are on the bottom. And when something is underneath your feet, the whole body is above it, including the head. The head is on top. And where's Satan? Underneath the feet. He's on the bottom. He's, on, he's not under, just underneath Christ. He's underneath the church. The body of Christ. Are you understanding that? And who, get, who, who, who aligned it that way? Jesus did. Resurrection power is not just a reality for our head. Which is Christ. Resurrection power is also a reality for every member of Christ's body, the church. In Christ, our head, we have all the rising from the dead power of Christ. And we are in Christ. We are the body that is connected to the head. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, that we are one flesh with Christ. And I believe... Because Paul brings us off also in Ephesians chapter 5. Because Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses an analogy of marriage. But he says, I'm not talking about marriage, I'm talking about Christ and his church. We are one flesh. And when, it, when the Bible says that when God has uh, joined together, let no man put us under. We apply that to marriage and rightfully so. But I believe that even more. I believe even marriage is an allegory of Christ and his church. 
when the world and governments attack marriage, they're actually attacking the analogy of Christ and the church. I'm not going to get political here. I'm just making that point. My point is, and you know, a lot of people say, well, in Genesis, the, the first relationship God established was between a man and a woman. And I disagree. It's the second relationship God established. The first relationship God established is between God and man. The second one was between a man and his wife. But the first and most important relationship we have is between Christ, us and, Christ, and God, Christ. The second one is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Okay? Your marriage will not succeed if Christ is not the head of your home and your marriage. Okay? And your family will not succeed if the husband and wife are not the head of the home with Christ being the head of them. Okay? In Christ, our church, and any church, the pastor might be the, the head of that church, but Christ is the head of the pastor. Okay? In Christ, our church, we all have the weight rising from the dead power of Christ. And it takes a divine revelation to understand this. And Paul was praying we understand this revelation. I know I'm over. I just want to wrap this up and I'm at the very tail end. Okay? And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's look at this real quick in the in Good News Translation, which means the church is Christ's body, the completion of him who, who, he, who himself completes all things. The church is Christ's body, the completion of him. Just as a ship is incomplete without its crew, just as a king is incomplete without his kingdom, Christ has chosen to be incomplete without his church. Christ has chosen to be incomplete without his body filled with himself, as he himself is the head. Let's look at the New, New Living Bible, which, says, which, is, uh, which is his body filled with himself, the author and giver of everything everywhere. It takes a divine revelation to understand that we, the church, are filled with him. It takes a divine revelation to understand this, and Paul was praying that we understand this revelation. Paul prayed, in conclusion, that we would have that our understanding would be enlightened, that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him, and that we would experience what is already true in our spirits. Paul prayed that we would know the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance, and the seeing greatness of His power towards us. This kind of concludes my teaching on Ephesians chapter one, verses seventeen to twenty-three. Next week, we'll pick it up. We'll talk about the second prayer that I want to highlight in Ephesians chapter two, 3, verses 14 through 21. Okay? And there's a lot more I can elaborate on this prayer. A lot more. On each section, I can go on so many rabbit trails. But I hope this has blessed you as we're talking about the four prayers of Paul. And I, these are my prayers for you. And uh, I know this teaching is deep, and you can. Again, on our website and our YouTube channel, you can re-listen to this message as many times as you need to to uh, get all that God is saying through Paul to us, the Church of Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen.